Well, wasn't that a blessing to hear from Paul and Abby Campbell? I love uh, being able to use the, the technology, uh, the video, to hear directly uh, from them. And uh, glad Paul wasn't inundated by birds like Nicholas was. Uh, but uh, what, what a great blessing to hear and, and just to hear what God is doing, how God is at work. Uh, you know, I, and with this being a special missions emphasis Sunday, I was just thinking and reflecting throughout this week and even this morning, just thanking God for uh, our church and just that God has given us a, a, a missions-minded church, a church with a, with a heart for missions. Uh, you know, Paul was one of four couples that went out to Logan, Utah from this church uh, to plant Gospel Peace Church. And uh, just just a joy to see what God is doing. I mean, how many how many churches do you know that would uh, basically be packing out a building with no air conditioning uh, in the middle of the summer uh, just because people want to hear the word? It, w- what a joy! What what a refreshing uh, testimony to hear that. So we're we're, we're thankful uh, for what God is doing, and we're grateful for that. And it's. Uh, you know, it's a joy for us to be able to have a, have a small part in that. And so this morning, uh, as I was thinking about uh, this Missions Emphasis Sunday, uh, in our community group, we've been walking through the book of Acts together. And, uh, and there was something that, that's been standing out to me as we've been going through the book of Acts. And so uh, something that I want to turn your attention to this morning. So I invite you to open your Bibles with me uh, in the book of Acts to chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 19 to 26. And this morning, what I want us to see as we look into this passage of Scripture and as, as we think about the work of God and, and the ministry uh, that is used, uh, what stood out to me is that oftentimes the work of God is not the work of some special uh, person. It's not somebody who's necessarily highly qualified or, or what they fulfill a certain role or a certain type of person. But the work of God oftentimes belongs to what we would call the average Joe. And so this morning, I want us to look at what happens here in Acts, especially at the church in Antioch. And we're going to look at an average Joe. We're going to look at a man by the name of Joseph. You may not recognize that name. You may know him by another name, but we're going to look at, at this and just see how God works through average and ordinary people. And I hope that this will be an encouragement to us as a body for all of us to think and to pray how we can be involved in the work of God. So as we look, let's look, and we're going to read this passage from Acts 11. We're going to read from verse 19 down through verse 26. And here's what Luke records under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greek, all, the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. 
the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we look into his word this morning. Father, our God, we are grateful to be gathered here together and to have this opportunity to look into your word. Lord, I pray that as we do, that you would open our eyes and touch our hearts to see, Lord, how you accomplish your work in the world, often through unremarkable people who are faithful and obedient to you. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge us and spur us as a congregation to be those kind of people so that you might continue to do your work through us for your glory. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read some of these verses and I, I see names and places, it doesn't really, sometimes it, it makes me wonder what, what exactly was happening here. So I want us to look at a map that helps us to see and to visualize what's going on in the first couple of verses of this passage. Now, when we read in verse 19, it says, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. If, if you track with the book of Acts, Luke is, is giving the account of the growth of the church from the day of Pentecost, everything that's happening in Jerusalem. Then in Acts chapter 7, we have the record of the stoning of Stephen. And at the end of Acts 7, we are introduced to a young man by the name of Saul who is holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. And it says he was assenting. He was, you know, he was casting his vote with those who had said that Stephen needed to die. And from that period, from the beginning of Acts chapter 1, we, we read, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So then as we continue through in Acts chapter 8, we read the story of Philip, who goes and he ministers in Samaria, then God takes him miraculously from there, drops him on a road in the desert to meet one man, an Ethiopian eunuch, who was reading the scriptures, and Philip was able to tell him about Christ. And then again, the, the Spirit again whisks him away and sends him to a different location. In the following chapters, we read about how things were continuing. We read about the miraculous conversion of Saul, this persecutor of the Christians. And we read about what's happening in Jerusalem with, with uh, Peter and others. And so here, Luke kind of after some parentheses, he jumps back to where he was. He kind of picks up his story. And he says that those who were scattered because of the persecution, they had gone throughout Judea and Samaria, but now Luke is going to show that this is continuing to spread. And you remember, all the way back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then Samaria, 
and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So in Acts 8, Luke talks about the disciples being scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now he's picking back up with that, and he's going to tell us how this goes to the ends of the earth. And so you'll see on the map different areas. So you have Jerusalem. This is where the church was born on the day of Pentecost. But then as things scattered, Judea and Samaria are the surrounding areas. But Luke tells us here that they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So you can see they're going farther and farther. Now Phoenicia, this was a region just to the north of Galilee, uh, you may be familiar, if you've read some of the Bible, with, the, with some of the famous towns in Phoenicia, like Tyre and Sidon, well-known towns. So you can see the gospel is beginning to spread. But as it's spreading, Luke tells us that as these disciples who were scattered because of the persecution were going out, they were preaching the word, but they were speaking to no one except the Jews. But we know from both the Old Testament and now from the book of Acts that Jesus said that we are to make disciples of all nations. And so now in verse 20, Luke tells us that there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So these people were probably proselytes, maybe originally to Judaism, but who had come to know Jesus. And they were from Cyprus, this island in red in the midst of the Mediterranean, and from Cyrene, what is modern-day Libya in North Africa. So these were proselytes from other regions, and we know Scripture tells us that there were proselytes in the early church. If we look back in the book of Acts chapter 6, one of the seven who were named as deacons is said to be a proselyte from Antioch. So he is someone who has come so you see, now the church is beginning where it had been complete, almost completely and uniquely Jewish. Now it's beginning to start to take on more of an, an international flavor, if you will. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, if you go back to Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, we read the story of Cornelius. And Peter, who gets this vision from the Lord, you remember the vision with the sheet and all sorts of unclean animals, and a voice tells Peter, rise and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I've never eaten anything unclean. This, this goes completely against the Jewish laws. And the voice from heaven says, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. And then the sheet was taken back, and that, that vision was repeated three times and as we read in, in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, it says, as Peter was sitting there thinking about what the vision meant, there comes a knock on the door. And Cornelius's friends come and say, hey, we got a vision that said to come here and to meet Peter. And then the light goes on and Peter says, okay. And Peter goes and through the mouth of Peter who shares the gospel with Cornelius now, the disciples, the number of disciples are growing. The breadth of it is growing. And if we look at the verse right before where we started reading in chapter 11, verse 18, after Peter had given this whole account to the people in Jerusalem, because when he got back to Jerusalem, there were some who stood up and said, wait a minute, 
You went into a Gentile's house and you ate with them and you shouldn't have done that because that's what the law said. And Peter said, hold on, this, this is bigger than me. And so then in verse 18, it says, when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So you see, this is the narrative. Luke is working this out and they're starting to realize, okay, this gospel isn't just for a limited number of people. This is for everyone, for the Jews as well as the non-Jews. And in the Jewish mind, those were the only two categories. You're either us or you're them. And now they're beginning to understand and God is sovereignly showing them the gospel isn't just for the us. It's for them. It's for everyone. But what is interesting is as these men are here, now Luke tells us that there are men from Cyprus and Cyrene These are, in essence, in their origin, they are non-Jews. And God uses them to spread the word, in verse 20, the men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, or to the Greeks also. They began preaching the word, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. But what's interesting to me is how God uses and, and... works with these men, and, and what we do not find in the text. The only description of these men is this. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Now, when we think about the, the work of the gospel and the spread of the gospel, and we think about the book of Acts, who do we think about? We think about Peter, right? And we think about Philip, and we think about Paul, and Silas, and, and we have these names, but here... We have a group of unnumbered, unnamed men that God used no special titles, no special positions, and yet God uses them to birth this church in Antioch. And it's interesting because as as we think of this, There's a quote from a commentator that I read. Uh, His name is Ajith Fernando. He's from Sri Lanka. And he said this, and I thought this was particularly pertinent. He said, some of the most significant work for the kingdom has been done by unknown witnesses who are obedient to Christ right where they are and who do not attract much attention. You know, I think many times, especially in, in our culture, we, we like to focus, and even in the media, we like to focus on celebrities, right? We like to focus on, you know, and, and even within Christendom, even within the work of God, we, we know certain names, and we can follow whether it's names like John MacArthur or John Piper or D.A. Carson or Tim Keller, and, and we know these names and we're like, yes, those are the ones who are doing the, God's work and who are doing the ministry. But I think as you look around the world, there are so many people whose names that we do not know, but yet who are faithfully serving God. And this meshes exactly with what Paul says. Look, hold your finger here in Acts and look with me, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 26. 
Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, he says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, being God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, the work of God often is done by men of Cyprus and Cyrene. Men who may be a little bit to the margin of what we would expect. Men who are unnamed and unknown, but yet who are faithfully serving God. You know, and, and Paul, even as he, as he writes to the Ephesians and he talks about this, uh, he talks about the gifts that God has given to the church. He says this in Acts chapter 4. He says, and God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, look in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. See, many times we might look and we say, okay, well, yeah, it's the, it's the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers who are supposed to be doing God's work. But Paul says, no, they are the ones that God has given to the church to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And when that happens, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful scenes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You know, and I am so thankful to be a part of a church where we have so many faithful men and women who are serving, who are fulfilling what Paul says, and doing the work of the ministry, not looking for title, not looking for position, not looking for recognition, but who are faithfully serving. And if you will, as we, as we talked about at the beginning, a lot of average Joes, that is, that is what we need as we think about the work of God. And, and look at what happens. Look at how God uses this. In verse 21, we read this. These men of Cyprus and Cyrene who were speaking the word of God to the non-Jews, verse 21, it says, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. You see, what is necessary for success in the work of God 
is not necessarily an advanced theological degree. Now, that may be helpful. It's not necessarily special, dramatic talents and gifts and abilities. What brings success in the work of God is the hand of the Lord. And the hand of the Lord is on not only, we see here in Acts, on the apostles, but on an unnamed, unnumbered group of men who were being faithful and who were obeying what the word of the Lord said. So the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number of those who believed turned to the Lord. A multitude. Now Luke doesn't give us the numbers, but this could have been a second day of Pentecost. The word that's used is a crowd. These are, these are great numbers of people who are coming to the Lord, who are responding to the word. So the first thing I want us to see is that the work of God doesn't have to be launched or initiated by some special or elite class of people. But secondly, I want us to see that oftentimes the work of God is furthered by the average Joes, if you will. And this is where we want to look at one particular man who God used to further this work that started. In verse 22 we read this, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, who is this Barnabas? I told you earlier that we were going to talk about a guy named Joe, right? Joseph. Look back with me. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 11 because we're going to come back to it. But look back with me to the first time we see this man in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. In verse 32, this was after the persecution that the church was receiving at the hands of the Pharisees. They were beating the apostles. They were putting them in prison. Verse 32, we read this. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that he had to, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first time we come across Joseph or Barnabas in the scripture, here he is generously caring for the needs of those around him in the body. The second time he appears before what we read in Acts chapter 11, we see something else very unique about him. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. 
This is the second time we will see Joseph or Barnabas. Now again, who is this guy? When we see in Acts chapter 4, he has no title. We're given his name. We're given his origin. He's from Cyprus, so he himself would have been a proselyte. He would have come from elsewhere. He wouldn't have been a purebred or an ethnic Jew. But he was following the Lord. He was ministering. And look at what happens now in chapter 9. In chapter 9, this is where we read about the conversion of Saul. And so Saul, as he was on the road to Damascus, we remember he saw the light. He heard the voice from heaven. He encountered Jesus. He went, he believed in Jesus. And then he begins in the the very city where he was going to imprison those who followed Jesus. He begins preaching the gospel. Now let's pick up in Acts chapter 29, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now think about that for a minute. Here's Paul. Here's Saul. Okay? You want to talk about you know schemes and tactics. He's going in. He's arresting people. He's throwing them in prison. He's causing them to be killed. And now all of a sudden, he becomes a disciple. Right? And all the apostles and the disciples in Jerusalem are like, yeah, no. We're not going to fall for this one. We know exactly. He's faking it. He's going to pretend. And then as soon as he slips in, he's going to get everybody and he's going to wipe everyone out. So the whole tenor of the mood in regards to Saul at this point is thanks but no. Until someone steps up. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in, he being Paul, went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, the Greeks, but they were seeking to kill him. So here, the second time we see Barnabas in Scripture, he is taking a major personal risk. He is quite literally putting his neck on the line for Saul and introducing him to the disciples who were very hesitant to accept this conversion of Saul. Now, it's interesting because the disciples had already named Barnabas. They had already given him a nickname, and that's the name that we know him by, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so all throughout Scripture, as we see Barnabas, we see him doing this. And this is exactly what we see as we, as we jump back now to chapter 11. This is exactly what we see Barnabas doing. He is now sent by the church in Jerusalem up to Antioch. When the word gets down to Jerusalem, hey, something big is happening in Antioch. And a, a lot of Greek, a lot of non-Jews are coming to the Lord. They say, Barnabas, you're a native of Cyprus. 
You're someone from the same region where these men went and preached. The men who went and preached in Antioch were from. So the apostles send Barnabas and look at what happens. Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Now, I got to thinking, why would the apostles send Barnabas to Antioch? Here he was, faithfully ministering in the church, serving. Why would they send him there? And I think as we look at the scripture, we can see six traits that we see in Barnabas of a good minister of God. And I hope that these are traits that we, as members of Colonial Baptist Church, will aspire to have so that we can also be faithful and be serving as ministers of God. First of all, let's look at verse 22, and we see that Barnabas was willing to follow the Lord's leading into new endeavors. So in verse 22, we read very simply that the report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas. We don't hear anything where Barnabas says, guys, wait, I've already got a ministry here. And later on, as we continue reading the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, we'll read that the Holy Spirit says to the church in Antioch, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for a, a work that I have for them. So Barnabas has a openness, a willingness to follow the Lord's leading into different endeavors. He's willing to follow, to to allow the Lord to guide him into where he wants him to be put. Secondly, we can see that Barnabas was a mature and what I would call an unprejudiced or an open-minded person. Let's look in verse 23. We read this already. When he came to Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Now, it's important to understand when we talk about Antioch, Antioch was no little city. Antioch was a major multicultural city. At this point, it would have been the third largest city in the Roman Empire, second only to Rome itself and to Alexandria just in Egypt. Some of the historians of the day would say that Antioch was the capital of Syria, which was one of the major regions in the Roman Empire. The city of Antioch was comprised of Greeks, of Syrians, of Phoenicians, of Jews, of Arabs, of Persians, of Egyptians, and of Indians. It was a major multicultural city where people literally from everywhere in the known world were there. And so Barnabas was sent, and I think his origins being from Cyprus would give him an openness to the work of God in a way that many of the ethnic Jews would not have had. Because as we read through The ethnic Jews, they're often raising questions about circumcision, about the law, about foods. Their their mind was, was circumscribed by the law, and they had a hard time thinking beyond that. But look at what Barnabas, when Barnabas went, it says he saw the grace of God, or what you could say what the grace of God was doing, and what did he do? What was his response? 
did he immediately say, oh, well, okay, I see God might be doing something, but you know, you're not wearing the right clothes. You're not eating the right foods. You're not, you know, we, we got to deal with the whole circumcision thing. No, it says he saw the grace of God and he was glad. It can be easy for us oftentimes to, to see the negative, can it? To look at something, to look at a work and to be critical and to be like, well, I'm not sure they didn't quite dot their I and cross the T in the same way that I would have. But yet Barnabas, as he goes, truly as his name is, a son of encouragement, he's glad he sees the grace of God at work. And look at what he does. The end of verse 23. And I think this is our third point. He faithfully used his gifts to build up the body. The end of verse 23 says this. He exhorted them. The word there is encouraged. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He gave this, and he was continually, the verb is is a continual, he was continually encouraging them to remain faithful to the Lord. Why is that important? Because here you have people from all over the world in a very multicultural city. And historians will say that Antioch was also known for its loose morals. So in every way, these people were having to come out from their former life. They were leaving old ways of living. They were leaving, perhaps, friends and family who would not have agreed with this new belief that they have in Jesus. So Barnabas encouraged them regularly to remain faithful to the Lord with as the text says, steadfast purpose, or with all their heart, to be resolved to follow Jesus despite difficulties and despite challenges. You, this was not new for Barnabas. This was what he was gifted to do. The disciples had already noticed that and gave him this name Barnabas, meaning son of encouragement. So in Jerusalem, he was faithfully using his gifts. They send him to Antioch. The first thing we see him doing, he's faithfully using his gifts. As we continue on through the book of Acts, we see it over and over. Barnabas and Saul, they were teaching, they were exhorting the believers. They were encouraging them. So this is something, again, that we as members of Colonial should aspire to. What has God given you? How has God gifted you? You might look at it and say, well, it's not much. It's not much. It's like Moses when God said, what do you have in your hand? He's like, well, it's just a staff. And God said, with that, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. We shouldn't minimize or despise as small or insignificant the gifts that God has given us. God has given us a gift. And as we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, every part has its purpose. And Paul will talk about that when he talks about the members of the body. We can't say, the eye doesn't say to the ear, well, because you're not an eye, we don't need you. Let's cut you off. 
The hand doesn't say to the feet, well, because you're not a hand, you know, we're going to... No, every part has its purpose, and it's as all the members of the body work together using the gifts that God has given, it builds up the body for love and for service. So we could see that Barnabas was willing to follow God's leading in his life into new endeavors. He was mature. He was unprejudiced. He was faithfully using his gifts. And then in verse 24 we see that Barnabas was known to be a man of solid, proven character. Verse 24 says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I can't think of much more simple, yet clear and profound descriptions. A good person. A good man, full of the whole, controlled, led by the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And when someone is full of something, the idea is being full to overflowing. Faith flowed out of Barnabas. The, the, the ministry, I would say, the, the fruit of the Spirit flowed out of his life. He was a man of character. You know, there's no substitute for character. And unfortunately, we see all throughout the media, all throughout you know, personal stories that we hear from people, that there are many people in high positions, positions of prominence, positions of leadership, positions of power, but if they do not have character, they inevitably fail and fall. And oftentimes there is much fallout from those falls. So Barnabas was a person of character. Then we see in verses 25 and 26, That Barnabas was a humble team player. Let's read verse 25 and 26 again. It says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now, why would he do that? What's the point? Well, it's interesting that we read at a couple different times in, in the text. At the end of verse 21, for example, we read, A great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now look again, verse, end of verse 24. A great many people were added to the Lord. So you start with a big number, and then you add a big number to a big number. Well, this is going to quickly get out of hand for one person. So Barnabas didn't look and be like, don't worry, guys, I got this. No, he said, you know what? I remember in Jerusalem, I introduced a guy to the apostles, and you know what? He was really gifted at reasoning with the Hellenists. And he was doing a great job, so great, in fact, that the Jews wanted to kill him, so they had to send him back home. I'm going to go see if I can find him. And now, Tarsus, where Saul was, was in proximity, relatively close to Antioch, but yet... Commentaries will say that it would have been about an eight-day journey to get from Antioch to Tarsus. And it seems that Barnabas, when he went there, it said he went there to look for him. He had to look for him. He had to find Saul. Verse 26, when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. Barnabas was not, from everything we see about him in Scripture, Barnabas was not 
an egomaniac. He was not on a power trip. He saw other people who were gifted, perhaps even more gifted than he was, and he was very happy to bring them along. We will read later on that that Paul will end up taking a prominent role on the missionary journeys. When it first starts off, when we read in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit says, separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the ministry. By the time we get to verse 9, we read about Saul, who is also called Paul, and then in verse 13, from verse chapter 13, verse 13 on, the roles switch. And now it's always Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas. Except for when they get to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, then it goes back to Barnabas and Paul because obviously Barnabas was the known commodity there. But we don't find Barnabas becoming you know, filled with angst and, oh man, this, this guy. No, he was happy to see someone else use their gifts and to, to labor together with them in, in a humble way and even to bring other people along that might outshine them. You know, and, and as we think about our ministry here in this body, in the surrounding area, we should constantly be on the lookout for those who God has gifted and who can come alongside us and not be worried about whether or not, well, they might outshine us or they'll do a better job than us. No, we want to see the body grow. And then finally, the last thing that we see about Barnabas is that he was committed to making disciples who live out the truth. Look at the end of verse 26. For a whole year, they met with the Christians, or they met with the church, and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas was a man who was committed to making disciples who lived out the truth. These disciples reflected Christ so much, were so loyal to Christ, that they were given the name Christians. Much as the Jews who were attached to Herod and had the favor of Herod and who tried to promote Herod were called Herodians, now these who were attached to Christ and worked to promote Christ would be called, would be labeled as Christians, Christians. But it wasn't just here that Barnabas was committed to developing disciples. Later on in Acts, we will see that there was a certain disciple who went along with Barnabas and Paul on their missionary journey and abandoned them. He turned and went back home. His name was John Mark. And then when it came time for the second missionary journey, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back. Let's visit all these churches. Let's see how they're doing. Let's encourage them. And Barnabas goes, great, I'll go call John Mark. And Paul says, no, you won't. And it gets to this point where there's friction and scripture tells us that the the tension between them was so sharp that they parted ways. And from that point, Barnabas' name disappears from the narrative of Scripture. But Paul, at the end of his life, 
when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, says this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Barnabas didn't give up on Mark, John Mark. He continued to work with him to develop him to the point that Paul, the very man who refused to bring him along, would later say to him, hey, Barnabas did his job. He's useful for ministry. So as we think about this text, I want us to see that the work of God, the work that God is doing, whether it's from our neighborhoods or to the nations, oftentimes is not done by an elite group. God's work is done by average people who love God, who are obedient to Him, and who have some of these characteristics. May God... May the Holy Spirit, through his word, develop these truths, these characteristics in our hearts so that we might continue to be a church, a church of people like Barnabas who continue to use their gifts and to serve the Lord so that his work may advance and go forth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father God, we're grateful to you for the way that you have shown us in your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you choose to use those who are weak and insignificant. Because, Lord, all the glory should go to you. And when you take those who are nothing, when you take those who have nothing other than what you have given them, and you use them, we can say nothing but glory to God. So, Father, would you do that in our midst, in our body? Would you continue to use us, Lord, as your disciples, develop these characteristics in us, in our hearts, so that we might be your instruments to do your work and to give you the glory for what you have done so that the word might go forth and a great many people might come to know you, to put their trust in you, to turn from their, their old way of life to serve you so that you might be glorified. Do this, Father, in our midst. Do this in our neighborhoods and do this throughout the world, for the sake of your name and your glory, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.